Good morning, ladies. So excited to have you. Can you believe it is our last official um, lesson for the day? It's going to be a great week. Next week, I will send you an email and give you some more details about how we are going to come together and just celebrate everything that we've learned and what God has done as we have been in His Word in First Corinthians this year. So, Excited about that, and I'm excited about our teacher that we're going to have this morning. I'm anxious for you to meet or see again Casey Uphughes. Um, she's going to be teaching us. So before she comes up, she is one of our faithful leaders. She's been in our Bible study a long time. She leads a small group, and you're going to be encouraged by what the Lord has taught her as she's been studying this chapter. So let's pray for her, and then we'll get her on up here. Father, thank you for your word that is so powerful and effective to transform our lives and to make us into women who know you more deeply and follow you more faithfully. And so I pray for Casey this morning as she teaches us that um, your words would just flow right through her into our hearts and uh, into our, our minds. And so we can dwell on what it is that you want us to learn this morning. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Casey up you. Am I on? Oh, yep, yes, I am. Okay, hi. So as Gigi said, I'm Casey Uphughes. Um, I've been coming to this Bible study for almost a decade, but I look really young. Um, and uh, just a little bit about me. I'm married uh, to my husband, Creighton, and we've been married for uh, about 13 years, and I've got two boys in elementary school. So I've got uh, a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old boy. And this Bible study has been my lifeline and just the sweet place that I've loved to come and serve for a while. Um, So I mentioned that I have two young boys and I have very specific memory of this one time, you all know, ladies, when you make that dreadful decision that you need to go to the grocery store and you need to take your children with you and you've got a long list and you're like, okay, we can do this. We're going to do this together. You do the pregame talk in the car. You're like, don't touch the product. Don't run out of, out of the aisle, you know, all of the things. And I have a very specific memory of putting, having my oldest, you know, hold on to the cart. It was my second child. So I didn't have the protector, ger- the germ protect. I didn't use that second. You don't care. So I plop my baby in there, get out of the galleyway, head into the pre the produce. And you know, you know what happened. I got that cart, that cart that just veers off to the left. There's just not a single thing that you can do to get that thing to go in alignment and stay straight. It's going to pull the entire grocery store t- trip, but you're not switching it out because you're like, we're, we are, we are focused. So that cart reminds me of a time and really in my life when I was constantly struggling and with following God. And, but I was just always getting pulled, veering to the left, just because my sin or my shame, anything from my past, I was just constantly moving towards disobedience and just from God, not from God's best. And really what that's, what that, the reason for that was because I didn't trust God or his plan. I didn't like it. And because I was really, if I'm really being honest, I didn't trust him. 
because I didn't think that he loved me. And it's really hard to trust somebody when you don't think they love you. And so I start with that story because I think we all have times in our lives where we've got our carts veering towards something that we know is a struggle. It's pulling away from God, it's pulling away from his plan, and because we wanna take control, we wanna do it in our own strength. We have it, we can do it, we've got it, we're fine. But it leaves us exhausted and frustrated. So maybe your cart is like mine and was veering away because I was just struggling with holding on to sin way longer and not embracing the freedom I had in it. Or maybe it's unforgiveness or shame that you're feeling. Or maybe you're just stuck, just stuck in this constant pattern of fear or stuck in this pattern of pride. So we have seen this whole entire lesson that we've been going through 1 Corinthians. We've been seeing this church veering, constantly getting pulled by their own selfish desires. And we've seen them and we can relate, can't we ladies? I'm like, I see you, Corinthians, I see you and your struggles of selfishness. And, but we also see Paul as the perfect example of someone that just doesn't veer. How does he do that? He's always staying on track. He's always in alignment with the Lord because he trusts and obeys him no matter what. So Paul knows that the church is God's plan. And that's our central truth for today, what we're learning today, is that the church is God's plan. So if the church is God's plan and we are the church, that's right, you guessed it, then you are God's plan for his purpose. And some of you might say, that's terrifying, but I have learned to, to just love and trust that that is exciting. That's great news. He needs us to show up because we're part of his plan. So when we're veering away from God and we're not trusting and obeying him, we're getting off track and losing our focus on what's most important. So today in chapter 16, we're gonna see how Paul wanted to make the Corinthians, uh, wanted to really drive home three points and make sure that the Corinthians knew them. And the first point being, he wanted the Corinthians to continue to be generous in their weekly collection. He also wanted to make sure that they were trusting God's purpose in his plan. And he also wanted to make sure that they were being compassionate to God's people. All right, so let's take a look at how our generosity is part of God's plan. So in this first section of scripture, we will be reading in verses one through four about the collection that... Um, that the Corinthians have asked Paul about. So I'll read it to you now. So now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatians church to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So Paul's following up on a question that they ask. We know that these letters, this letter of 1 Corinthians is all him answering various questions that they've been asking. So they were clearly making an ask about, so what's about, you know, what's the deal with this collection? And so he's answering them and he's reminding them, okay, you need to take something weekly. Really cool thing is this is the first time that he mentions the Sabbath being on Sunday, 
which is really exciting because we know it moved from Saturday to Sunday. So this is his mention of it. He wants them to take a weekly offering on Sunday. He wants them to gather together to do it, do it corporately, almost like an offering like we do, um, or at least I guess I did back in the day with the passing of the plate. Um, and he wants them to do it over a long period of time. He wants them to save up because they don't know when he's going to be coming they don't know when they're going to have to be giving the collection back to that church. And so he wants them to be saving it up over a period of time. He's also really encouraging them to do grace-based giving. He wants them to keep it, keep it within their income. He wants them to give from their heart and within their means. He's pointing them back to this is supposed to be generous, which means it's coming from your heart. This Jerusalem church was in need because we, we know that there was a famine in the area. And that would have put a lot of them at a disadvantage. So with a famine in the area and these new um, Jewish converts, they were probably struggling a lot with a new group. I mean, like they've gone from Jew to now a, a, a believer. That's going to put them at a disadvantage for potentially how they are making their money. So they would have potentially been dismissed by their culture. So when you have famine on top of a life change, they were in need. So Paul's also reminding the Corinthians that this is how we care for others. He's giving them that big picture of you are the big C church. And so you Corinthian, you Gentiles, you need to care for your brothers and sisters that are Jewish. This is all a big picture for how we want y'all to be. Take care of your believers, be generous. You need to be generous because you are part of God's, we are, we are the way that, wait, we are God's plan to provide. So that's actually our principle for this section of scripture, that the church is God's plan for his provision. So why are we his plan today? That is because we are the owners and not, because we aren't the owners of what we've been given. We are the stewards of the resources that God has given us. In 1 Chronicles 29, 11, it says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. That's 1 Chronicles 29, 11. That is just pointing back to the fact that we aren't owners of what we've been given. We can be generous with it because it's not ours. He's also show, showing us how we are his plan today. And he's showing us how to be generous not just with our treasures, but also with our talents and our time. He wants, us to, he wants to use us fully, not just financially, but he needs you to provide with your gifts. Use your gifting. That is being the church. So there's a story that I love and has always just been such an encouragement to me about what it looks like to show up and be generous. And if you've ever been in any of my small groups, you've heard this story. I affectionately call it the casserole story. And it was shared by a woman, a fellow Watermark uh, member, Kay Wyma, who taught this years ago in Bible study. It totally dates me. But years ago, she tells a story about a friend that she had that was just going through a really hard time. And she had decided, okay, um, this is going to be a really challenging week. I'm going to make a casserole, and I'm going to deliver it to her on Thursday. And that's part of my plan. So she makes the casserole. She puts it in the fridge. She has every intention of, of delivering it on Thursday. 
But as you can guess, something came up, the day went sideways, goes off track, she's unable to deliver it. So of course she's disappointed every time she opens up that fridge, she sees that casserole just reminding her about this opportunity that she had and she missed. So she sees her friend that weekend and um, just asks her how she's doing, making sure she's being cared for. And of course her friend is like, it has been hard, but it's been great. But it's, she's like the craziest thing. You know, on Thursday night, we were, we were just, it was, it was crazy and we needed a meal and my friend showed up and brought us dinner and it was so great. And Kay's like, are you kidding me? Like, that was my casserole. I was supposed to be bringing you dinner on Thursday. But the lesson for her was that God's plan was for both of those friends to provide for her friend in need. So he had it figured out. It was just Kay that missed out on the blessing of being able to give that casserole to her friend. The Lord cared for their friend, and both of them were part of his plan to provide, but it wasn't all for loss. He still, he still cared for that hurting friend, but just in a different way than Kay would have, had imagined. So as we're looking back on applying this section of scripture to our lives, the wonderful theme that we've been reflecting on all semester has been belief affects behavior. And I want to point us back to here, to, to that today. Does your belief about God's plan affect your behavior to be his provision? He's asking you to be generous. Do you believe that you're part of that? Do you believe that God needs your help to provide for other people? Whether it's maybe in his church or others in need, people in your community? Are you acting like an owner or a steward of what you've been given? So let's take a look at how our trust is part of God's plan in this next scripture. So the next verses, 5 through 14, are the ever so exciting travel plans of Paul. I'm sure y'all were like, wow, this is so, so much to glean in his Who's it's, what's it's, where's it's going. So let's read that together in five through nine. After I go through Macedonia, I will come to you, for I will be going through Macedonia. Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. I mean, his plans seem pretty sketchy at best. I mean, like he's like, maybe, perhaps, I would like to, I would not, I don't know. I mean, but, but he doesn't seem confused. He seems very clear in his direction of what he thinks he's going to do. So Paul is actually communicating a couple of different things to them. One of the things that he's communicating is a detour. Um, so the, the best way I can say, when he's saying he's in Ephesus oh, and he's trying to get to Corinth, but he's going to go through Macedonia, is communicating like, say you're in Houston and you need to get to Austin. And you know, normally that would be a straight shot. Wait, I'm, I'm going my direction this way. Normally that would be a straight shot, but it would be like starting in Houston. I'm going to go up to Dallas, down to Waco, and then I'm going to get to you in Austin. So he was going to be going a roundabout way. So his communication in saying that he was going through Macedonia was actually saying, hey, I'm going to kind of go a wonky way 
because I have some things I need to do. And they would need to know that because he's trying to explain to them why he's going to be a little bit, why it's going to take him a little bit of time. But you can see his heart. You can see that he longs to spend time with them. He's telling them, I don't want it to be a quick visit. I want to spend some time with you, hopefully the winter. So you can see his love and care and what he's communicating to them. It also shows his ability to make a plan, but know that he has to be 100% flexible and open to when God calls him and if there's other people that, that need him. And this is a key point for me. To, this was a huge thing for me to learn. It shows us the deep trust in God and how to trust and obey his plans when sometimes they don't make sense or they're going to take longer than we hoped. So Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that's Romans 8.28. His purpose is the key part of that scripture. We have been called to his purpose, not ours. And that's what we see Paul doing here, confidently walking according to God's purpose. So the principle in this section is that the church is God's plan for his purpose. We are his plan to carry it out. He was constantly on mission, no matter the detour. He confidently walked in obedience, following the Lord's leading. So if we are God's plan for his purpose, how do we learn to follow God's plan as confidently as Paul. So I'm going to take my own little detour here and talk a little minute, uh, talk a little bit about what it means to build our trust in the Lord. Because sometimes when we feel like following God or following God's plan, sometimes it feels like a game, or at least to me it has in the past. You know, is it, it it's like it's like there's this missing puzzle piece. I've got to find it. What is God's plan? What is it? It's missing. I don't know where it is. I'm going to try to search everywhere. Or maybe you felt like uh, following God was like a game of hot and cold, my personal favorite. So you're like, okay, over here, over here. And he's like, colder, colder, colder. Okay, just kidding, just kidding. I'm going to go over here. And he's like, warmer, warmer, warmer. So that is a game of hot and cold, following where you feel like the, the Lord's leading you. And then, but there's just constant give and take. Or maybe uh, the game of follow, you feel like following the Lord is sometimes a game of Marco Polo. So you're like, okay. If I see a sign, or if I hear a sign, or have any kind of sign, I'm going to be like, Marco! And you're like, that was polo. That was so polo. That was so polo. I'm going over here. So you just go back and forth of just trying to follow this mysterious polo that you can't ever catch. Or maybe, to you, following the Lord's plan seems very specific, like walking on a tightrope. And if you fall off of that tightrope, all is lost you've ruined everything. It's going to be horrible. But that's nothing like following God. Following the Lord is not playing a game. And we see that P Paul isn't searching for a missing piece. He's not playing Marco Polo. He's following God's will with confidence. And there are three things that we see him doing that as he's finding out God's plan. And the first thing that he's doing is trusting in God's unfailing love. Paul knows that he is fully and completely loved by his father. He is confident in it. We see it in the way he speaks. He, God is entirely loving, good, holy, righteous, and merciful. He is so big 
Ladies, he is the creator of heaven and earth and of you. Your heavenly father adores you to no end. When he sees you, he is grinning ear to ear. You are adored by him. When God is looking at you and when you are in your purpose, it brings him so much joy. So Paul was confident in this love. He knew the creator of the universe had a plan and it didn't matter if he missed it. He was loved. So the second thing that we see him trusting in was that trusting in Christ and what he's done on the cross. So Paul was a new creation in Christ. He knew, he, he knew about the redeeming power of the cross. And if you have trusted in Christ, you are a new creation as well. And you are 100% forgiven from your sin and you're free from that bondage. So if Paul can confidently walk when he's had this bananas sorted past, I mean, he was a murderer of Christians for crying out loud, ladies. I mean, that is a lot to be forgiven for, right? So Christ can transform anyone. He can transform you. God's grace and Jesus' grace is big enough to cover our sin, all of it. We read back in 1 Corinthians 1.18, a scripture that I love, and it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul trusted the power of the forgiveness that he received when Christ died on the cross. So the third thing that we see is um, the trusting that Paul is doing as he's figuring out God's plan is trusting in the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He is fully dependent upon the Holy Spirit for both guidance and conviction. The Holy Spirit is given to us when we accept Jesus as our helper. He is constantly there advocating for us. I personally think the Holy Spirit is completely underutilized and he's seriously one of my favorite parts of the Trinity. But, so I want everyone to love him as much as I do, but, so let me encourage you with this. In 1 Corinthians 2, 12, it says, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that you may understand what God has freely given you, or excuse me, given us. The Holy Spirit brings us both understanding and guidance, but he also brings us conviction. The Holy Spirit is that thing that when your grocery cart, when your cart is veering off and steering off and out of alignment, it's the Holy Spirit that convicts you of that and you know you're out of alignment with the Lord. He's the one that helps you get it, get it back on track. So those three things, trusting in God's unfailing love, trusting Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross, and, the, and trusting the guidance of the Holy Spirit are all an act of surrender. They are actively surrendering. We, we are actively surrendering to our flesh and its desires in order to trust God the, and the purpose he had for us. And we see Paul doing that time and time again. So following God isn't a game of hot and cold or Marco Polo or walking on a tightrope. When your life is in alignment with the Lord and you're putting your trust in him, following the will of God is like walking in a canyon filled with paths and expanses. Paul was on the path of godliness and he knew that the Lord was giving him options and choices along the way, just like we have options and choices to follow him. Now, let me be clear, 
When I'm saying that we have choices and options, I'm not talking about a free-for-all. Yes, we have, the fr we have free will, but God's word is clear, and many of the choices that we have options for aren't his best. Like murder, for example. That would be a really good, easy, clear one that I would tell you. That would be not a path that you would want to take. It's very obvious that that would not be God's best. But if you're discerning maybe a city to live in, which job to take, a preschool for your child, or even a place to serve, those are all good options. And if you are thinking about God in those decisions and trusting the Lord as your guide and you're pursuing those paths of godliness, he's giving you those choices. So if it frees you up from making a mistake, it frees you up from that fear of making the wrong choice. It's not a tightrope that you fall off. If you miss it, if you hit a dead end, God can still use those. I mean, frankly, those are the biggest lessons and the closest I've ever come when I learn most about the Lord is when I've hit a dead end or I've, made a, I've, I've missed a choice. But he uses it for our good. We have a loving father that knows how to guide us. You can trust him with all of it. So now that we see how Paul was guided by God, let's jump back into the scripture, scripture and see how Paul encourages the Corinthians to follow him, follow the Lord, even when it's really hard to trust and obey. So we see in verses nine, and this was that lovely chart that you went through in your lesson. In verse nine, we see that Paul is knowingly staying in Ephesus to confront people that oppose him. So sometimes God asks you to walk into a path or do something and stay there when it's really hard or really difficult. And we aren't promised easy. So we can trust God to carry us through with his love during all of that hard. In verses 10 through 12, we see Paul encourage the Corinthians to love young Timothy when he comes and to, to give some grace to Apollos because he's unwilling to come at that time. We're always called into, and to love and support others, um, no matter their status, their age, or what they're going through. We want to love them and spur them on to love and good deeds in whatever they're up against. So this, in the verses for 13 and 14, Paul gives us his final encouragement for the whole book of 1 Corinthians, and it's a great verse. Be on guard. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be courageous, be strong, do everything in love, it says in verse 13 and 14. This is such a great verse. It's a reminder that no matter what we're walking through, no matter the hard, God is with us and we need to be on guard and be ready because we are going to face challenges. We are gonna face um, hard times, but if love and God's love and everything that we do is in love is, is covering it, we're good. So the application for this section is so as we consider how our belief affects our behavior, does your belief about God's plan affect your behavior <clears throat> to surrender to his purpose? Does your, do you believe that God loves you? The three things that Paul knew, that God loves you, that Jesus died for you on the cross and you are forgiven, and that the Holy Spirit is there for your guidance. And what areas can you grow as you think about those three aspects of the Lord? 
Are you confidently walking in obedience with the Lord today? What do you need to actively surrender to him? Maybe something that's pulling you away and veering you away from God's best. So the last section of scripture is, um, is where we're going to take a look at how compassion is part of God's plan. So in those final verses are really Paul's final thoughts, his closing. Um, we're going to read uh, verses 15 through 20 together. You know that the household of Stephanus was the first converts in Achaia, and they have devoted themselves to the service of the Lord's people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. I was glad when Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus arrived, because they have supplied what was lacking from you. For they refreshed my spirit and yours also. Such men deserve recognition. So here we learn about Stephanus and his co-laborers. They were fellow brothers that were fellow Corinthians that had been sent to Paul, most likely to deliver letters or supplies for him. And we know that by saying, thank you so much for, you know, you, they, they, have, they have supplied what I needed. And um, Paul wanted them to see a really positive example of somebody using their gifts. We know using your gifts and everything was such an, which was such a huge part of Paul's message. And they deserve recognition because these guys who probably had the gift of encouragement or service were doing it well. And he wanted to encourage the Corinthians of like, hey, I'm gonna send these guys back. These are amazing. You know, let, let them do their work. So all of this leads us to our last principle, which is the church is God's plan for his people. So we are God's plan for his people to care for them, to love them, to serve them. Not just fellow believers to build up the church, but also to help save the lost and point them back to Christ. When our carts are veering and we're being distracted just like the Corinthians, it's really hard for us to love our people radically. So Paul wraps up this letter with his authentic signature and tagline showing us his unwavering love for his people, the church. The unity and the effectiveness of the church meant so much to Paul because he knew that it was so important to God. We are the church, ladies, and so that makes us his plan. So if you are the church, then you are God's plan. So as we reflect on this belief, does it affect your behavior? Um, does your belief about God's plan affect your behavior for the avail to, to be available to his people, just like Stephanus was to Paul? Do you have compassion, apathy, or maybe a little bit of a frustration for the people that God has put specifically in your life? Whether it's in your community group, your spouse, or your family or friends, believers or non-believers, what is your posture of heart towards the people in your lives? What does it look like to confidently walk in obedience in those relationships? So I'll close today with just saying that through this Bible study, um, just coming over the years and sitting out in that chair, just like you guys are, um, God's word has really transformed my heart. And 
I was totally attracted and just love this story of Paul because I just see such confidence that I just didn't feel for so many years. And thankfully, because of God's word, he really rewired me from the inside out and he helped fix my wonky cart. Now, don't get me wrong. She still likes to veer. I mean, <laughs> like I am not perfect, but um, it was just so amazing to get back into alignment and to be purposeful for the Lord and just to feel like, yes, like I am, I can be used. I'm good because I know, I know the way to go because I finally believed in the unfailing love of God. I trusted that Christ's death on the cross was good enough and perfect enough to wash away and forgive me from all of my sins. And I learned to listen to the tender guiding voice of the Holy Spirit for both guidance and conviction. I stopped treating following God like a game. And um, I just stopped the exhaustive search of just, kind of just striving and hustling. And I saw the love and all of the love that he had for me in that canyon of options as long as I was pursuing that path of godliness. So this past couple of years walking in that posture has been so much fun. And um, I just want to leave you here with just reminding you that he is bigger than you can ever imagine, ladies. And his love for you is even bigger than that. And with that big love, don't forget, he is grinning ear to ear when he sees your precious face. So walk confidently in that love. Go be the church. He has made you for such a wonderful purpose that when you're doing it, it's super fun. <laughs> so keep pursuing him. He's always pursuing you. Don't let this summer break stop you, ladies. Keep the fight. Keep on going. And just remind yourself, am I trusting you, Lord? Do I trust him? So let me close this in prayer. Oh, Father, that we would know your love, that we would trust in the, what you've done for us on the cross, and that we would just rest, that we have a helper. What a fun ride it has been just learning all of your ways in this book of 1 Corinthians, and that our belief affects our behavior. Lord, that we would be changed by it, that you are a God of second chances, and that we would learn to trust you more. We thank you for this time. In your name, amen.